0: Welcome back to the Blaze Experience once again. You are joining us for another episode, and I'm your host, Derek, as always. And today we have a great episode. We're going to talk some Heartland DLC and State of Decay 2. This DLC was just released this week, and I'm really excited to talk about this. I've been playing a lot of it, and I've already made it through one playthrough. I'm about to start my second one, and I'm really excited to um, talk to the guests we have on today. Before we announce that, just real quick, we have our next podcast coming up next Saturday. It's going to be Heartland-related in some degree. Um, There's a lot of stuff in Heartland, so I'm not sure what topic I'm going to go with yet. I might go with, you know, talking about the different characters in Heartland or uh, maybe the Plague Walls and all that new stuff there. But we'll we'll figure it out. So it'll be something Heartland-related. And the next stream, um, I can't quite announce the next stream just because I don't know exactly when I'm going to release this episode. But um, our usual stream schedule is Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, 12 to 4 Eastern, and then one night stream per week. And then real quick, last at the top of the show, I just want to thank everyone for helping us get over 500 followers on Mixer this week. That is really awesome, and I really appreciate that, everyone. But without further ado, we do have two guests here today. We have some guests from Undead Labs. Both of them are designers from Undead Labs. Please welcome back to the podcast first, Jeffrey Card. How are you, Jeffrey? I'm doing okay. Welcome back. Thanks for being here. Oh, this is fun. It's it's weird hearing you speak at, uh, at a
1: normal speed, because I always listen to the podcast <laughs> at 1.5 times, and having you talk like a normal human is is
0: rough. <laughs> Trust me, I do the same. You know, It makes things go faster, you can listen to more podcasts that way. So, uh, <laughs> exactly. I'm <the> same way.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: but we also have another returning guest. They're actually on for uh, an interview once as well. Please welcome back to the podcast, Brian Giammi. How are you, Brian? Hello, I'm good. Thanks for coming back. I appreciate it. Yeah. But we did have Heartland released this week, so uh, how has the hype and the uh, excitement been after the release for all of you? I mean,
1: it's it's actually kind of a big relaxation, yeah, a to exhale. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <Studio-wide. laughs> I mean, you've 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 heard me, you know, on on our stream every week getting asked the question, when are we going to get to have Trumbull Valley? When are we going to get to have Trumbull Valley? And I kept not being able to give any information because we were preparing for this huge E3 surprise release. And so being able to suddenly talk about everything all at once. It's not like
2: there was like a small drip. It was nothing, 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 everything at once. (laughs) Exactly.
0: But that's a good way to do it too. I mean, you know, that worked really well for Apex Legends, for example. You know, so sometimes mm-hmm. that works really well, just you know, kind of a surprise drop like that. And I think the hype has been really, you know, exciting for that because no one was really expecting. It. It's like, oh wow, here this thing is, you know, let's, let's go play this.
1: Yeah, I watched uh, the video of uh, Arky's GameCast reaction, which was which was pretty hilarious. He he had been predicting that it was going to uh, be announced, and then when it suddenly was already out, he started flipping out. It was it was really
2: fun. <laughs> yeah. I pretty much just kept refreshing Reddit, R State of Decay for like 20, 30 minutes as people were like, oh, we're talking about stuff. And wait, did they just say it's out now? New thread <laughs> update, it's out now. And it just this is <laughs> this giant ongoing, oh, I out
0: Yeah, so that was awesome. So <laughs> yeah. I, I've definitely been streaming a lot lately, and uh, all week I've been playing it. I honestly can't put it down. It's, it's such a great DLC. So thank you to the whole team for that. Oh, thank you. It's wonderful to hear. But I do have some questions for you uh, about Heartland, and a couple of them I think I might know kind of the general answer to, but um, I think there's a lot of people out there that might have questions about it still, so I figured I would ask them. So um, mm-hmm. one of the questions I had is, I did notice when I was looking at my radio commands, there's no longer radio commands for the Daybreak or Independence Pack or the Wizard Band, anything like that, so we can't actually use our radio commands from the base game. And Is there a reason for that?
2: So there's there's a couple of pieces to this. Uh it's useful to think about it not like, why can't this radio command be used in Heartland? We looked at it more like, well, why should this radio command be usable in Heartland? It was more like we brought stuff into it, we didn't cut stuff out of it. Like The hope was always to make Heartland feel like it is its own distinct thing. It's got a new place, it's got its own characters, it's got its own story, it's got its own base. Like There's, there's a, a, an opportunity there to present something that is focused and deliberate, and it's easy to undermine a focused, deliberate thing if you start to say, well, why can't it also incorporate these 12 cool things that, Exist for different reasons than we thought up a year ago in a totally different context, and so like having it on both like a balance front and like a, a narrative coherence front, having access to all of that stuff would mostly have just distracted from like the newness and the, the value of the actual product, and so it was more an exercise of looking at everything we had and saying, is this foundational enough to state to decay to that the game is doesn't work without it. Or is this something that is actually there for other reasons where we can safely take it off the
0: table? Yeah, that makes sense to me. Because, I mean, when I was thinking about it, at first I was kind of surprised. I'm like, oh, wow, I can't call in, like, you know, a burdenator or something. But then I thought about it. I'm like, well, the the burdenator doesn't really fit with this story. Like, this is kind of a self-contained story. And I think it makes more sense just being its own little thing. Kind of. But another question that's kind of similar to that is we only have one base, in partly on what you mentioned. So what kind of went into that decision behind that? And at what point in the process was that decision made? Was that early on in the process? You guys knew that you only wanted one base?
2: It was fairly early. Like, there were a lot of discussions about this. I remember at one point we were talking about maybe having two or three. Like, we knew we were never going to go to the same degree as a full map because you probably aren't going to spend as much time here, and we don't want you to... The main reason we went up with one base is the same reason we knew we weren't going to do six bases, is that we wanted you to focus on the story in the end. And the more time we spend telling you Actually, you can't see what happens next because you have to go grind against the simulation to require stuff to keep your thing propped up. The less momentum the story gets, and the more your focus is, the more sense. it ceases to be that focused and unique different game experience we want Heartland to be. And so this sort of like we reduced this to its simplest element, which was, well, why should we ever have more than one base? And then once we started playing with the idea of one base, we started to get really excited about it, there were certain opportunities presented there. Uh, you may have noticed, like, there's lots of built-in facilities at Jurassic Junction, like ones that don't exist in the base game at all, where we have the luxury of taking advantage of knowing exactly where the facility is going to be, exactly where all the walls are. It doesn't have to fit perfectly into a little 3x3 three three meter slot. And so the artist had this opportunity to sort of go nuts and make things, like, large in scale and clear in distinction from Tier 1 to Tier 2, and to really have the sense of a big, living, thriving community that was very capable in a way that is just harder to do when you have to make the same artwork in is it 21 or 22, however many bases we wound up with, <laughs> <laughs> different yeah. circumstances? Right, yeah. And so there started to be a lot of benefits just doing the one, not least of which was time. Now you can make one thing a lot better, then you can make two things, than you can make three things, and so forth.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I, I have to think, you know, from your perspective, it must have been a little bit easier in some respects to have one base to focus on, and then you don't have to focus on, okay, I have to make this base balance with this base. You don't have to worry about balancing issues as much if you have one base to worry about.
2: That's exactly true. It, it's ultimately less... The less different pieces you need to be viable choices, the more interesting you can make each choice and the more of your total complexity budget can be crammed into one place. And so that freed us up enough that we were able to literally say, hey, what if every single character had a unique unlock or a unique build? And we were able to accommodate that because it wasn't having to compete with, like, multiple different combinations of filters and multiple bases. And it just simplified the whole problem by, like, an order of magnitude.
0: Definitely. And I know uh, on Je- stream, Jeffrey has kind of said that, you know, when a lot of people ask about having Trumble in the base game, Part of the issue with that is that there'd be some balancing issues there where if you bring Trumbull to the base game, well there's a new base in Trumbull that works totally different than all the other bases and it wouldn't really be balanced with what your experience in the base game is with having that one base like that.
2: Exactly. It's not even like there's one base there's one base that was designed to have an entirely different facility build menu with different unlocks based on different skills, based on different characters. Like a lot of the benefits you get from saying this is distinct and can be its own thing mean that those things do not translate directly from that new context to the old context and even if you were to say like oh we'll just bring that over like that's basically the same amount of work as creating them from scratch because the balance considerations are different the way you acquire them is different the tuning considerations are different like it has like there's a power to making something special for heartland and that we can make it so memorable and so distinct because we don't also have to keep it compatible with the ever-increasing complexity of the content that we have in the base game
0: absolutely and i just have to say that you know seeing that base and All the new stuff with it. When I first saw that, I was just floored. Like, wow, this is completely different. Like, still to this day, I still don't have everything down pat. Like, you know, okay, this does this, this does this. I'm I'm still figuring it out. So, I'm smiling ear to (laughs) ear. That was
2: literally the point. Like, that's the thing you purchase by saying this is going to be unique and different. Is we give ourselves the aspiration of saying, no, people should feel delighted to go and see all of this new stuff because it should be new enough, big enough, different enough to really resonate. So, thank you for that. That was. was
0: You're welcome. And I was even noticing how the icons are different too, you know, like hand center yep. icons are different like it was really cool seeing the new icons like that too. I'm like, "Oh wow, they even changed the icons like they really went all out of the space. We didn't
2: change it it's a it's a new thing it's like there's different data, it's a different facility it's not it's the same, but x it's no let's create an entirely separate thing for heartland
0: yeah, so that, that's really really cool, and I really appreciate that, but Jeffrey, um mm-hmm. I know there's a lot of new characters in this as well, so how was you working on the new characters like that? Was it kind of um easier to work on them? Since they're a little bit more finite, and you can kind of mold them a certain way, instead of having a random generator, or was it more difficult in that sense?
1: Uh, it's interesting because I mean, in one sense, uh, the the stage where we are uh, sort of conceiving the characters and, and and developing who the individuals are, that was it, it was it wasn't easier or harder. It was just a completely different challenge uh, because you know in in the you know in the base game, all of the characters are randomly generated. We don't create right. any of the characters except for I guess the the, the few handful of starter characters. Uh, but even they have some, you know, they, they've got a lot that's locked down, but there's still a lot of variance, uh, in, in those guys. Um, and so the problem of trying to create basically a factory for generating characters versus creating specific characters is, is just a completely different challenge. And, and, and one thing that was, that was actually a little bit harder is the fact that our, our data systems are set up in such a way that, uh, you know, they, they're, they're built specifically for the problem of creating molds for characters or creating, you know, a, a, a type of character and then iterating on that type again and again and again, you know,
2: ha-
1: like hammering out, uh, you know, 500 different, uh, you know, different characters who are good at, uh, at athletic pursuits or something like that. It's not designed for creating a specific character with a specific name and a specific appearance and all so we had to take all of our systems and kind of bend them out of shape in order to make these individual characters like um our our name list for instance is uh it's divided up by cultural backgrounds you've got a different name list for people from mexico versus people whose whose background comes from china or, or from vietnam or from all these different places um and then we've also got entire cultural categories for each individual character in heartland because each of them like because we weren't randomly generating them as a repre- as a sort of a member of of a larger group we were just rep- trying to create a very specific person but the only way we have to define a name for a character is with a massive list of names that's grouped by culture and so and so trying to make just individual characters who got the same name every single time with actually meant that we had to like double the size of our name list <laughs> just to make room for, for this this handful of what, 14, 17, 18 characters, something like that. Oh, so wow. yeah. So it was just so under the, so on the surface, it looks like it's a much simpler system. Under the hood, it looks like garbage. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> but we made it work, you know, and, and there, were, there were definitely some times where characters got weird names. I actually originally put in temporary fake names for the characters. And we ended up with, with some, a few weird, like, save game bugs where, uh, people who were playing the game very close to release would still end up somehow getting my temp names on their characters. Um, uh, and so I'm trying to remember what some of their oh, names were. Like, uh, I don't know. Like, like Brock's name might have been something like Speedo McMeth Lab or something like that. I, I, I don't, I don't, it wasn't that. It wasn't that, but it was something along those lines. And, uh, and people, people.
2: I remember seeing in Slack someone's like, is this, is this going to ship like that? Is that, yeah. is that, what's
1: is, to is that his actual name? For, for a long time, Diana's name was just Lizard. And, yeah. uh, and they maybe changed that one because it was, it was kind of weird. Uh, but, but yeah. So, so it was, it was different. I wouldn't say easier or harder, but it definitely, it, it, it looks weird under the hood. It felt a lot like we took
0: a hammer and had to hit a bunch of screws with it.
1: Yes, exactly. That's uh, yeah, or, or or trying to screw in a bunch of nails or something yeah. like that, yeah.
0: No, it's really interesting, though. I'm glad you kind of went through that, because on the surface, it seems like, okay, we just have, you know, these eight or ten characters, and, you know, we just have to mold them the way we want, but... On the surface, you know, it seems like, oh, that's not as bad as, you know, molding, okay, like these different templates for all these random generated characters in the base game. But it's really Mm -hmm. interesting to hear about that from behind the scenes, which I know all these fifth uh, skills these characters have, they all seem to have a different fifth skill. Is that correct?
1: Uh, Yeah, I'm pretty sure we made a unique fifth skill for each of these characters. Uh, I've got a, yeah, I've got actually got our spreadsheet open here. Uh, Brian and I uh, kind of made a, a Google spreadsheet so that we could, Constantly and we kept it constantly up to date. So as I was making changes to the characters, he could look at it as he was making changes to the facilities. I could look at it and we were constantly sharing information back and forth so that any change we made would always be consistently reflected ac- across both the facility system, which belonged to Brian, and the character
2: system, which belonged to me. I feel like this was like the most aggressively collaborative thing we've we've had to do on this project. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like every single time one of us wanted to iterate or tweak something, the other had to know about it so that everything could stay coherent.
1: Yeah, and so and so we we came up with this with this document, which actually worked really well. And um it turns out I, I actually want to keep doing this for everything I do from now on because it was so useful to QA. Right, like af- because we had instead of just writing documentation up front and then varying from it and just going wild and having all the documentation get out of date which is the standard in the game industry um we 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 you know kept this documentation constantly up to date because it was a necessary communication tool between us and then once we were done and we were ready for for QA to come in and test all of this stuff they had a meticulous outline of exactly what was supposed to be in the game and they could go through and make sure that if we had left anything out or made a mistake or made a change that we didn't report they called out every single one of them we were able to get all the characters down pat because we had documented it so well
0: yeah i was going to say that must have been really uh interesting that the collaboration effort there because you know on one hand you have a new fifth skill but that fifth skill has to do a certain thing in the base and Mm You know, how did that kind of um, collaboration work exactly? When are you, okay, I want a facility in the base that does this. You know, how can we make a skill around that? How does that kind of work?
2: I think we started with the array of different things that could be done with the base. It was was almost character-driven in my memory. Like, it was really like, well, yeah, we had a list of, like, we know we need to get the following things that are the base. Yeah. What do we want each of these people to contribute in a way that makes them like sufficiently valuable and also like identifiable where it's a distinct thing? Yeah, and then we sort of chop the dice to the base stuff that we knew we could do. Into like what belonged to each, per- each person.
1: Yeah, it was kind of like it was like it was like a matching game. We're like, okay, we we know that for instance that the Wilkersons are well known for drugs and explosives, and so whoever we recruit from the Wilkersons, which turned out to eventually be Brock, whoever we recruit from them has to be good at you know fire and drugs, and so so we put fire and drugs in his category, and then and we went down the list like that. We're like, okay, we want the characters when we're choosing between two characters, we want them both to do approximately the same thing, and for it to be a really Key part of the base. We're like, okay, let's make them the doctors and give them two different backgrounds that have to do. And then we ended up with uh, with with uh, Vic and, and Isaac, and and so we just filled the, filled those in. And then eventually we we were left with, okay, there's a handful of more things we need to be able to do. We got to have somebody who's good at cooking, somebody who's good at utilities, and we sort of made that match up as well as we could with the characters we had left until we had this sort of full roster like of pictures. facilities and a full roster of characters.
2: And it was there were like multiple loops to this. We started off with an idea of like, well, really cool, if the base could do this. Who could we put that on? And then we would put that in, and then it would be, well, this character has this extra element to, like, their backstory. Can we incorporate that somehow and pay that off? And that would, like, manifest as, like, new facility passives or actions or stuff like that. Like, uh, originally, the, what is it, it was the utilities-based thing that Chavez unlocks. um, Yeah, whatever that was called. Is it it just utilities? Utilities Complex. Complex. Utilities Complex, complex. that's what it was. I have five different versions of that name in
0: my head, and always forget which all (laughs)
2: my actual shit. So the utilities complex, originally, was what we knew was going to do power and water, because there's the idea that as you move further in Heartland and you recruit more people, you sort of get to upgrade your way out of worrying about simulated resource problems so you can focus on... The gauntlet, which mm-hmm. I don't think is too much of a spoiler, but if you're listening to this podcast, odds are good these are words you've heard before. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but like, we also thought about that, and then eventually it's like, well, he's got this whole like, I was the guy to build stuff for my community, and I eventually I looked at it and went, well, some people in playtest were also building staging areas, and I didn't want to even waste two large slots. So it's like Chavez could just let you do—you could just solve that. Mm-hmm. And so we actually like grabbed the passive off the staging area that knocks out your materials income and slapped it on the utilities complex. I believe it is only there if Chavez has survived. That um, makes sense. Yeah. <laughs>
0: And it kind um, of makes sense too, because I mean, Chavez is a red talent, so it makes sense that you pair utilities with him. Uh, yeah,
1: because we, we, we were kind of, uh, I went through the, uh, the, the fifth skill list for the red talent characters and, and tried to find, you know, what, what are the interesting things that red talent characters are capable of doing? And I like the idea that they have this sort of like this pioneer class of, uh, of, of soldiers that they bring in who are, you know, they're not necessarily combat experts. They're people who are experts in kind of, I don't know, the, 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 the a post-apocalyptic equivalent of nation building. Um, and, and that that, I liked the idea of, of, of applying that to Chavez and then, once we applied that to Chavez, we kind of realized, you know, okay, so having him be the non-combat guy who was brought into a daybreak operation, and that he was the one who was not really prepared for how intense that was, and so he's the one who runs away. Like, it's like, you know, yeah. the role we gave him on the facility side fed into who he was as a character, which then fed into his mission and his story and fed back into in, in, into his role in the community. And so it kind of, this whole thing was very circular and, and iterative.
0: Which, speaking of those missions and everything, I actually didn't realize it Silo was too late, but uh some of these characters, which we don't have to spoil which ones exactly, but there's a couple of these characters that you actually could miss the chance to recruit. Was that something that um was always planned to happen? Because there was a character in my first playthrough, I missed recruiting because I didn't get there in time to do the mission.
1: Yeah, there was, um, so, so the, the way we structured it was, there was a certain handful of characters that were a part of the main storyline. You know, there's the characters you start with, uh, there's Malik who you meet, you know, at the base, and there are characters you can get from the personal storyline, uh, from, you know, either the Wilkerson or the Santos storyline, and then there's the character you get, uh, for sort of the end game stuff. And, uh, and so those were going to be sort of the core main line. We knew that you were going to encounter those characters and get opportunities to recruit those characters. And so those actually, those storylines belonged to Leah and Kale, uh, who, who are a couple of our, uh, mission designers. Um, and then I was brought in to be the, the mission designer who made all of the storyline, all, all of the stories that didn't have anything to do with the main storyline. So, so, you know, Reba and Chavez and Isby and Vic and Isaac, and I'm, Forgetting one. Um, oh, Diana. Diana, Diana. thank you. Uh, Diana. So, so, so those were mine. And because, uh, the reason we did that was because I was also working on content update eight at the same time uh, that I was working on Heartland. And so there was no way that I was going to be able to, um, just get as involved in, in the larger storyline and really know what's happening as we, as the short storyline shifted and as major things were going on. I wasn't going to be able to keep up with all of that stuff. And so I was given all the missions that where I didn't need to know what was going on and each mission could sort of stand on its own and so there was always kind of this division between the core mainline characters and the side recruits um and so yeah so th- so those uh five or six characters uh that were that were in my wheelhouse those are it's known that many players might not ever encounter them like if you never happen to go near uh chavez's little hollow that he's living in you'll never find chavez if you don't happen to drive by reba's house when uh we're, we're at the point in the story where she wants to engage with you you don't meet Reba. You know, if you, if you don't run into Diana, just by chance, you'll never yeah. you'll never meet Diana. That's
0: the one I miss. I missed Diana the first time. So.
1: Yeah, she's in a very tight area. You kind of have to know, know where to know where to go. But, like, on the other
2: side of that, like, the base build menu specifically calls out, That's that, true. here's the thing that you could have if you find an expert in something. And so even if you might have missed the character, our hope was always that we would at least, like, plant the seed in your brain that, all right, somebody somewhere does this. So I should keep an <laughs> eye out, and I should look, and I should explore. And the hope was to sort of motivate players to, like, try and, like, see all that there is to see and find all that there is to find and to make sure that they were always rewarded for doing so with something unique in this Yeah,
1: which is something you you can't really do as easily in a very procedurally generated game because, you know, in the base game, it's basically an engine for spitting out content for you. And, uh, and so because you know there's sort of an infinite amount of it coming your direction, uh, there's nothing that feels like, well, I have to complete this or it's something, there's a piece missing. That sort of puzzle solving element really isn't there in, in, a, in a lot of the, the core game. And, and, you know, a lot of story focused players, a lot of collection focused players, uh, really, really enjoy that. And, and it's something that they might not get from the base game, but they definitely get it in Heartland. We wanted to lean into, uh, the advantages like we were saying before uh you know, lean into the advantages that heartland gives us by being such a very specific story it lets us you know create those like those like open slots that you want to fill and, and those yeah. mysteries that you want to solve
0: yeah and i'm actually glad you both brought up that part about the open slots and you know a mystery that you might want to solve or oh what does this do i want to find the character that does this because there's actually a couple of characters you know there's two storylines uh the wilkerson's <laughs> and the santo storyline which Obviously, they had different starting characters, but mm-hmm. there's actually two other characters that are exclusive to the storyline. So Brock and Kishi you can only get if you play a certain storyline. So what mm-hmm. went into the decision with that? And were you ever worried that, oh, well, I wanted to do this facility, but, you know, Brock has that. I can never get Brock.
2: Well, didn't we put those on the same? You, you answered that. So, yeah, so this one was a little bit tricky. We Actually, we played with this at one point where we knew we wanted to have some sort of branching in there where it wouldn't really feel like you had the same exact... Like combat texture in both versions of the game. Like, we want there to be a sense of, well, when you play as the Mokrishn sort of the storyline, these tools become available to you. When you play on the Santo storyline, these tools become available to you so that when you replay it, it doesn't feel like you're doing exactly the same thing the same way. Right. And so, we knew we wanted to do like an asymmetry there. Um, we actually put in some custom tech to allow us to hide the upgrade on the screen so you wouldn't see something you could never have. The intent being that when you're playing on one playthrough, like that's just set in stone. This is what you get, these are the tools that you get. They're good. They're better than the base game, usually by a market amount. Like we let you craft some stuff that you normally have to get as loot. Like there's pursuit mines on one side mm-hmm. and I wanna say, um, you can rent it. you don't you can't craft Willy Pete, but you can craft a gamble which has a chance of Willy Pete, which is unequivocally the best incendiary of the game and crazy good against stuff during the gauntlet, and we wanted you to feel like you had something equal in power on both sides, but that it wouldn't be the same, but we also didn't want you to think about it in terms of like, oh, I really wish I had this other thing. It's supposed to be, you know, this is this crew, this is what they've unlocked, this is what they've given me, let me go and experience it on these terms. And so the intent was to use the characters as scaffolding to sort of navigate why you had these powers or versus these powers. Well, that so actually you, makes sense,
0: yeah. and I'm kind of glad that you um, had that tech in there where you can't see it because I was going to say, like, when I played through the Santos storyline, which is when I played through first, I didn't really notice, like, something that Brock could do. And I'm like, well, he does something, but I don't know what he does. Yeah, so so
1: there's no message at all about what Brock could possibly do if you're over on the Santos storyline and Keisha's your only option.
0: Yeah, and I ended up liking Keisha. You know, he's just a pretty cool character, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We like him, too. <laughs> Which, um, that actually brings me to, do you both have a favorite new character in this? Because I would say that mine is one of the ones that Jeffrey spoke of earlier, Isby. Uh, I found Isby so, you know, unique and strange, but she's strange in a fun way, and I really enjoyed her uh, personality.
1: Well, you nailed my favorite one. Uh, Isby, Isby was my favorite, was probably my favorite thing that I did on Heartland was, was Isby's mission. Uh, partly because I initially kind of based Isby on one of my daughters. Uh, you notice that she's got the inside person trait, which is completely based on, uh, it, that's the trait that gives her so much red, uh, in her, (laughs) in her traits because she just never goes outside. She never does anything athletic. And I've, I've actually got a, a kid who prides herself on never going outside. Um, and so, so I based that on her. And so I have a special affection for that, but also, um, that the, the sort of plot line of that mission. I, I did a few things in that mission that we hadn't quite handled an objective in exactly that way before. And i it just sort of made me feel clever, uh, going, going through and making that mission. But especially, um, the very first line that you say when you're, when you're on the rooftop of the, uh, of the gas station, um, and you're saying just word salad into your radio to try to, uh, get Cleo's attention. Um, th- that line is actually a line, uh, it's, it's one of my favorite, um, uh, Fry and Larry sketches. Uh, it's, it's a line. I love, that Stephen, I love this so much. <laughs> it's a line that Stephen Fry says. So, so basically he's playing an English professor and he's making this point about how, you know, there's a finite number of words in the English language, but you can say an infinite number of sentences with them. And he said, I'm going to say a sentence right now that has never been spoken before in the history of the English language. Hold the newsreader's nose squarely, waiter, or friendly milk will counterman my trousers. And I loved that so much because it was so absolutely true. I mean, now of course it's been said millions of times by people who are right. fans of Stephen Fry, but at the time, no one had ever said that before except Stephen Fry, and it was it was so great that I, this is actually the second video game I snuck that line into. <laughs> uh, the, the The first one was The Sims 2 for PSP. Uh it was a it was a secret line you spoke to control mind control a robot, I believe. I
2: feel like if we were making games in the nineties, you could use that as your console cheat. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> like so. that would be your rosebud like, like semi colon exclamation point for if it's something. Although every time I, I read that line I hear it in Brock's voice. Oh yeah. Because that's the first <laughs> time I heard it in the game and like can just the voice actor did a great job. he's just like very like increasingly confused the further into the <laughs> sentence he gets like yeah. countermanned by trousers <laughs> it's like what could that and i it was one of like, the more immersive moments for me because like that line happens and then spoiler 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 and i was with the
0: character in that moment i'm like where is this going what is it oh oh okay okay nope yep yep i'm, I'm on board now i get it <laughs> well i think that's kind of why i was so drawn to isby too because that feeling you get you know you're standing on a rooftop you're like what am I saying? Why am I here? Like saying this nonsense. Like, what am I doing with You're my life? So ready right now? to believe that like the character completely nuts. This is going to go nowhere. <laughs> this is some insane task, and then
1: nope. Yeah. And I like I like Isby's voice actress did did such a great job of sort of selling this hyper confidence, where it's like you kind of feel like you should keep doing it because his character is so sure. She's right. And you could, but you could just as easily believe she's an insane person because only an insane person is as confident of nonsense as she is. (laughs) It's definitely like this person is from deep, deep in the bowels of the internet. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, and I also have a special feeling in my heart for Isby because in the zombie apocalypse, I would also be the person who physically is terrible at everything, but Knows something about computers. And so I'm kind of hoping that my, some, <laughs> someone would find some use for my skills in design. Right, like, I'm going to build a fortress and then
2: try to market my skill set externally. Yeah.
1: <laughs> exactly. So, ISB is my favorite. Who's your favorite?
2: <sighs> it's, it's tough because I remember, like, I've, I, it has varied it's a little bit. Um, I've definitely a weirdo in that I have memories of them being my favorites because of the crap they unlock because I focus on <laughs> the abstract parts of games. That's
1: a good enough reason.
2: But um... <laughs> also, Brock has a golden eagle and a skull belt buckle, and he's a weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of just, his character is, is, is a delight. I think I got gun singing on him in mine. I don't know if that's uh, every time. <laughs> that it starts, sounds legit. He was like my favorite I'll check the spreadsheet. checking his spreadsheet that literally tells us this. Um, <laughs> but like, I remember the part where I was trying to get Brock's serial bonus was probably the most fun I had. Just because his dialogue, his character, just his overall appearance, and also his mechanics all gelled really well for me. Uh, Yeah, it looks like he gets either weapon handling or gunslinging, and so I was just running around gunslinging with my gold eagle being a weirdo on the radio, and I'm like, this is great.
1: Yeah, he's he's it? vaguely based on Jesse Pinkman from uh Breaking Bad. And... He also literally
2: has one of our coworkers' faces. <laughs>
1: yes, that's true. There's right. a guy in the office who just just is Brock with normal people clothes. <laughs> and it's it's the <laughs> strangest thing in the world. And personality wise, nothing like Brock. Zero percent. <laughs>
2: but it's just it's just his face and his hair. And he's just he's just he's a programmer. <laughs> just he's just making video games all the time.
0: Yep. Yeah, I've seen bits and pieces of him on a stream, but I haven't played that storyline yet, so I'm excited to like meet him like the full full depth of him so he's he's a fun
2: dude yep there's there's,
1: there's some great that can i keep him like there's just so much great dialogue <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> which going back to isby real quick um i thought it was interesting too that she seems to be the only character that actually can't specialize in all of her traits so was that intentional about her uh, yeah, I mean, I think, she's yeah, because we,
1: right? we limit, yeah, we limited her, uh, in, I think her, her physical abilities. And I mean, yeah, basically, uh, most of the characters we wanted to have a normal level of survivor flexibility, we wanted her to stand out as being kind of a glass cannon. It's like she, she can expand your outpost limit. She can get you Cleo drops. She, she's got like this really valuable thing to offer, but it comes at a cost. Um, you'll notice that one thing we did, uh, this time around is nearly all of the characters, basically everyone except for your starters. Um, has some kind of, uh, serious, do- Oh, actually, no, even your starters have got, yeah, I forgot about this. Even your starter characters have got downsides. Um, and this, this kind of dates back to, um, you know, one of the issues that we had with the the Red Talon recruits was the fact that we made right. you know uh, this was a mistake on my part. I made the characters so perfect uh, that really there was you know the 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 um, dominant strategy of our game was to just fill your community entirely with Red Talon characters. And uh, and I realized you know what I, I, I started paying attention to the way that people were were generating their characters, and I noticed that not only were they going after Red Talon characters, but people would you know. They would cycle through characters forever until they found characters who had only good traits. And if any character had a negative trait, there's a lot of people who are just like throw them in the garbage if they've got a negative trait. And for me, in my mind, I you know, I liked the fact that that in our game, you know, our characters are not perfect superheroes. Our characters are not generally um, you know ideal people because you know what in real life. There isn't a single one of us that doesn't have a negative trait. Every real human in the real world has got something that would have red text if we were a state of decay character. And so, um, I really, really like the idea of, 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 you know, always getting a positive from a character, but also having to deal with a negative and, and sort of balancing that out and having this sense that nobody's perfect. And so just because somebody has a little bit of a negative trait, that doesn't mean they're garbage. It doesn't mean you need to throw them away. You know, everyone's valuable, uh, in their own way. And so, um, when we were planning out these characters i deliberately made sure that everyone has got something uh that's that's negative and actually oh wait no i was i was wrong looking at this thing i saw some red text the starter characters do not have negatives and and part of that was because you actually do make it up choice looking at their traits right. deciding which pair of characters you want to have sense, yeah. and because there's there's such a, a strong bias in the community towards just rejecting characters who have any red, uh, or anything that looks bad, uh, that, you know, we, we wanted to make sure that people weren't sort of inhibited from right. selecting their favorite characters based on, based on that, that, that assumption.
2: But like that principle is definitely one that would resonate well in a broad way where applied. And it's definitely something that we've made a, a, a clear observation of looking at the way people play the game versus the sort of intentions we had. So that's, yeah it's a good thing to learn
1: yeah so so it's sort of a balance right because you want to lean in you want to lean into what people are enjoying what people are interested in and so so you know with these starter characters, we made sure that they kind of aligned with what players were looking for from characters, but then when you start recruiting characters in the game then we kind of bring in that theme that, you know, not nobody's perfect, but everyone's valuable. And and I, I think that's that's an important thing that we want to bring across, and so I'm glad that Heartland gave us the ability to, to do that.
0: Yeah, and at least for me, I, I can't speak for everyone else, obviously, but at least for me, the story of it kind of made me not really care about the negatives because, like, um, I'll use Isby again as an example, you know, I know Isby has three stars in some areas, but, like, Her personality and her confidence from that storyline. I'm like, yeah, screw it. I'm going to play as Isby. We're we're, going to not rock this. You know, (laughs) Isby's got this.
1: Yeah. I'm a big fan of the target. I think she's
0: got a target pistol. I really like the target pistol anyway. And so, you know, (laughs) I mean, she's
2: got to get that outpost limit (laughs) somehow. Yeah,
0: (laughs) exactly. But another question I had going back to the bases real quick. So Jurassic Junction is really unique, obviously, and I wanted to know if it was a challenge to reconfigure everything on a system standpoint, because it seems like a lot of things that we're used to in the base game were kind of, like, broken out into different facilities, and we have different things that do the same things we might be used to in the base game, but they're in different places now. Yep. So that was
2: very deliberate. Um, One of of my sort of, like, long-standing, if I ever get the chance to do this, like, list items... Was to make the choices about where you spend your resources at your base more meaningful early. Like, when we first started developing the game, like, exactly which facilities would be the ones that we kept and exactly what they would do shifted frequently, like, day to day, even like, week to week for a long time. And by the time all was settled and said and done, not having a workshop and not having an infirmary felt foolish. Like, there wasn't really a good reason to ever do that. And so, at the very least, I started by saying, like, well, I'd rather split those out. And then, if you want to create or upgrade those things, like, those should be choices where you know, all your ability to heal and all your ability to, like, make useful stuff, don't we don't have to tie those together. If we tie those together, it feels foolish not to build this. And I don't want you to ever feel foolish for not doing something. I want you to feel like you're making a choice about where to extend in a positive way, not where to avoid a negative. Okay? That's what happens if you make too useful, to effective dominant strategies, right? You stop gaining that sense of, of I made the right choice, because every choice is, like, obvious. And so uh, we knew that we were going to have a giant base. We knew that we were going to have more slots. And so we tr- basically looked at the stuff that we knew you would always build and basically just split it in half where the depot and the lab share duties from what used to be on the workshop and then the med- the medical tent and then the branching medical expansion upgrade that is unlocked by Victor or Isaac has like the rest of what you might've done in the infirmary. So one of them is more about uh, crafting, one of them is more about yeah, recovery. Yeah, like that
0: expansion, that was cool. Well, thank you.
2: Uh, and so like the hope was to sort of make those choices feel more consequential and that there's also a greater sort of thematic element to that like having a facility that does one thing I, I do believe having looked at the game for a while now is generally stronger than a facility which does a whole ton of things If no other reason like you can intuit what's there you can figure it out simpler you can expect it. it's more sort of rewarding to actually get it up and then there's a, uh, just we, we basically wanted to make sure that everybody who you added to your community created something that was valuable and related to them and so the other side of this was pulling stuff off of the sort of baseline assumptions of what you would get so we could give them to you from the right person and make that person feel extra-rewarded. Like, the Outpost Limits uh, was, not like the Drone Strikes were good, but you pulled the Drone Strikes off of the Heartland version of the Radio Room so you could unlock them when uh, you built the Relay Facility. So that, uh, I'm pretty sure that was, that was Izby, right? Yeah. Yeah, so, like, when yeah, so you get Izby, like, you get, like, she's got all the computer hacking stuff, you didn't have some of it with her and some of it without her, like, I don't know, like, why would anybody have that? That comes from your your one and only hacking expert, you want to bring her in there because this is just the path to that. And when you have her, you've got all the stuff. And if you were to actually lose her after building that, you don't lose everything, but you lose some things, right? And so we needed to have enough on every facility to both incentivize you to build it and recruit the person and then further incentivize you not to lose that person. And so there had to be, like, enough on every piece to do that. And so chopping up the stuff in the base game made it more reasonable to do so.
0: And one of the follow-ups I have to that, then, is would any of these decisions kind of involve looking at uh, player data? Because one of the first things I noticed is Based on uh, the previous conversation we've had, Brian, um, the forge kind of wasn't used a lot by uh, people I talked to. And basically, it looked like you rolled the forge pretty much into Quincy's weapons area. So it basically, I noticed that right away. like, Oh, wow. All the forge weapons are right here in Quincy's weapon area. So did you kind of take things that like, oh, well, people aren't might not be using this as much. Let's just kind of roll it into this section.
2: That was definitely a part of it. Uh, you know, you want... At some level, like you have to, when you're building content for a system like that, you have to set down what your goals are first. And you don't just make everything with them what would be cool. You have to set down, like, what is the purpose of this? And, like, every facility should have a reason why you would build it and should be rewarding for a certain reason. And you want those reasons to be as distinct as possible. We knew that. We wanted Quincy to unlock the ability to, like, make a couple of firearms. And having a facility that made guns and then a different facility that made melee weapons felt like those were too similar and it wouldn't really make, it wouldn't feel good to have to do both to get both. And we could make it very rewarding to get the weapons depot upgrade, and thus very rewarding to have and keep Quincy alive, if all that sort of came from one place. And so, you know, that combined with the fact that we had sort of split the workshop in half, meant that we could take the repair stuff and the weapon stuff and just be nice and tight on the focus with that.
0: Yeah, that makes sense, and I'm glad it was in that way. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Although yeah, there is a part of would love to like look back at the forge someday
2: and maybe give that a little tweak. <laughs> like you, you, everything should have a reason to exist.
0: Yeah, I hope that does happen at some point. Because I mean, the idea of a forge sounds really cool, but. I think just the execution could have um, used a different direction, maybe. So we'll keep but, thinking uh, about it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I did notice as well that it, if you compare Heartland to Nightmare, there's actually way more cars in Heartland. Was that a conscious decision as well to include more cars in the map?
2: Yep. Uh, Heartland's tuning was based on to start so, in many ways. The tuning of Heartland was we'll let's start with a standard zone and then cautiously pull threads towards dread in certain places at certain times. Um, With Nightmare, we were very deliberate about making cars hard to come by so that the amount of the early game you spend without perfect access to a car is higher, Uh, the need for you to like find parts to repair them is higher, and the odds of you putting yourself into a precarious situation were higher, because that's like a main goal of the simulation when you sort of open-ended game. With Heartland, not having a car kind of just slows the story to a grinding halt. and It creates opportunities for you to get stuck on the side of the road, and we have enough VO for you to travel from point A to B, and so you'll hear a story for two minutes, and then you're just walking for like nine more without a story happening, and then the story picks up when you get to your destination. And I had this experience a few times, but it just never, it felt so clearly bad that anything we could do to diminish the odds of that happening felt worthwhile. And what that manifested as is, don't change the amount of cars in there from the default tuning, which was both safe, because we had already mostly QA'd that, and easy, because we know what the game feels like in that way. So that... Just help us stay focused on the right stuff.
0: And did any of that with the cars have anything to do with the ability to actually call in cars? Because that's one thing I thought could have been partially factoring into that, where, oh, well, we can't call in cars from, you know, Independence Pack anymore. We can't call in cars like a Wizard Bay anymore. So because we can't call these in, maybe they actually put some more cars in the map. Was that part of that at all?
2: I don't think we actually considered that specifically, but if we had turned the cars down we probably would have bumped into an issue because we didn't have that to backfill. I think we managed to just sort of put this blocker down, and then it kept that issue from ever really arising.
0: That makes sense. But I did want to ask you both as well. Um, since there's so many new facilities, traits, and skills in here, what's um, you know, maybe one or two of your like favorite uh, newest facilities or traits that you kind of came up with?
1: Uh, well, I, I already mentioned I think my favorite trait is is inside person on is baked. Uh So I, I'll, I think I'll stick to my guns on that one.
0: <laughs> fair enough
2: uh, i didn't think about as much about the traits um, uh, but i love the idea of the fabricator lab um i remember we, we wound up with a facility mod that was the cnc mill and that basically just existed to make parts but i've always loved the idea because it was there was, was a book that jeffrey actually i think bought from the studio and then handed to me very early on called the knowledge mm-hmm. um which was so great for us developing the game i think we actually have that still there
1: Oh, yeah, there's actually, yeah, there's a mission in the game where you find a copy of that book. We got permission from the author to actually represent his book in the game.
2: Yep. And it's like <laughs> a, it's a, I think it's a, just a better than normal chemistry textbook. Like, you mm-hmm. get more stars out of it. But it it covers a lot of, like, if you have to reboot industries from nothing, what do you do? What are the steps that you take? What are the things that you make? And so this the image has always been in my head of, like, what happens when we've kind of succeeded at that? What does that look like? And then the Fabricator, I think it was lab in the end, we debated the Chopper lab, mm-hmm. Um, in the end has... All of this different sort of manufacturing capability. It's this person who's making like suppressors, and then just tons and tons of parts. And you can even make like your own backpacks there. And there's always this uh, this, this sort of untapped potential of, well, we never let you craft everything. What haven't we left you craft yet? And mm-hmm. then we just sort of kept st- putting things in there. And we threw like a durability bonus on it. And it felt like very rewarding for me to have the, the ability to say, hey, look, we've given you something that you haven't had before. In the way that like identifies uniquely, and you can see it from far away, and the value proposition feels really clear i'm just very happy with that
0: <laughs> yeah I, I think for me just a whole new like system to explore is really exciting for me because i mean i've already obviously podcasted about like the, the different bases in the base game different facilities things like that like heartland is so different from all that that i have to really take time to like dissect all this and it's gonna take me a little while to actually dissect okay this does this and like actually know for by heart like what everything does
1: that makes sense. Yep, <laughs> we're thinking of you when we made it. <laughs> <laughs> I <appreciate
0: that>. You <laughs> and a lot of players like
1: you. Yeah. <laughs> I
0: appreciate that. But um, one of the uh, last few Heartland questions I had for you is um, just as something quick: what was something that was most challenging for either the studio as a whole in making this DLC, or for your individual role, either one?
2: Hmm. Do you know the first, or do you want to think about it. Uh, let me think about it. Sure. So I can, I can ask this one for me pretty easily. Um, The amount of focus that you would have on playing the sort of day-to-day simulation loop versus actually focusing on the story was a very hard question to answer until the story was pretty far along just because of the nature of developing a narrative experience in a game means that you can't get a great understanding of how it's going to feel at the end until pretty close to the end. And so I spent a lot of time trying to figure out, well, how much loot should there be on the map, and how much scavenging do we expect the player to do, and how much resource pressure do you want you to feel? Because all that manifested for me in, like, well, what, what, what does the base actually do? What do I give you? How do I make it feels like the right thing and not something that undermines the rest of the game? And so there's a reason that when you, like, max out the farming complex, you're getting, like, crazy food per day. You're also getting meds per day. The thing provides its own water. Uh, the utilities complex turns off your need for power, turns off your need for water for the whole base, and also turns off your need for materials. Uh, there's a facility that just gives you gas forever, because it's, it's, it's you know, spoilers, it's I the like same that thing facility. with the, the cars, <laughs> right? Because, like, not having fuel means everything slides to a halt. And so eventually this focus became really crystalline for me, where anything that was stopping you from moving the story forward was not making the product stronger. And so all the tuning was able to be sort of lined up against that, that bar of, this is what the goal of the tuning is, this is what the player's experience should be. And so once we got that, it became much clearer, like, all it's right, the plan to find lots of stuff. We can let you craft weapons that are crazy good. You'll need them at the end. We can turn off this pressure, and it will all neatly dovetail into you being in a sort of... Like, the image in my head was like, you're at the end of an RPG, and if you do a bunch of extra grinding, you should feel really, really powerful. And so I wanted the experience you had out in the world, getting ready to do a final story stuff, to have that sort of emotional journey in it.
0: Yeah, kind of like the uh, grinding of the plague here, too, you know, because... The plague here was kind of reducing costs that way because you knew okay everyone's going to need a lot more plague here and this everything is plague so, right like randomly you know, slapping,
2: slapping you down right. with needing to farm that probably isn't going to help the story right. feel like it's got momentum. <laughs> True.
1: Um, over on my side, so I actually dodged one of the hardest things uh, that 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 sort of uh, plagued the content design side. So uh, uh, Leah and Kale and Walter, uh, who were all working on the on the core uh, the core storyline missions. Um, we're dealing with a lot of uh, brand new challenges because, you know, in the original, in, in the in the core game, um, the way that we treat missions, you know, a mission pops up and you either take it or you don't, and if you ignore it, it goes away, and then another one will pop up in its place. Um, even the missions that are really important to completing the game, um, they you know they can they can still come and go, and and you've always got the chance for for a new one to pop up in the future, and it doesn't really matter a whole ton that the exact Right series of events always happens in the exact right order. Like we we built a game intentionally where it could be just kind of random and it was okay. Uh, but in Heartland, it, it it doesn't work that way. Like everything has to happen in a very specific order. Certain things have to happen before other things, and and the, the 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 later things that happen have to happen fast enough that they make sense. And um and all the logic has to hang together. And we have to you know we rely on certain characters being alive for certain things. And if they die, we have to do different things. Um, and it's 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 a level of complexity and of and you know mission and story management uh, that we just plain sidestepped uh, for the core game. And so I don't get to complain about it that much because I you know, deliberately <laughs> was put on the missions that didn't need to worry about that, where each one really was kind of standing on its own alone. like I had to sort of branch them off specific parts of the storyline. But otherwise, they just kind of stood on their own and didn't need to sort of flow into each other all that much. They weren't very interrelated. But uh, kale and Leah and Walter, you know, each time they needed to test one of their missions, they had to carefully advance through the story that other people had built uh, in order to get to the right spot. And we had programmers, especially uh, Peter Gentoli, uh, spent a lot of time building us tools that made it a lot easier uh, for us to step through the story and, and get to where we needed to get it, where it only would take us five minutes instead of 45 minutes. Especially if the
2: bugs are like, well, if you make this choice here, and this choice here, and this choice here, then this person died, this happens. Yeah. <laughs> and so just getting that to be right. a part of someone's job that does not take half their day to even see what the problem is. Is a challenge to overcome in that universe.
1: Yeah. So, so that w- that was a really big deal. It's just basically, anytime you build a set of tools to create one kind of game, and then you step to the side and decide to make a very different kind of game with those same tools, uh, it, you're going to run into a lot. Yeah, there's a cost of a to lot pay of problems, problems yeah. One place or the other. Yeah. But, but you know, I, but. The people who were involved, especially, you know, like, like Peter giving us those tools and everything, it went a lot better than I think, uh, the worst case scenario oh, looked like. I mean, absolutely. Especially like, like by the end of that process, like I was just powering through the, like if I needed to test out, you know, Reba's stuff, she's one of the later unlocked, yep. uh, recruit characters. If I needed to test out problems with, with, with Reba, it only took me a few minutes to just, power through the series of cheats that it took to get me to the point where she was ready to go and uh and i was really kind of you know proud of our tools team for 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 what they were able to come up with that's fantastic.
0: yeah that's really interesting and i do appreciate the kind of story progression that was set up with that because it is something different and like one of the examples that i ran into is and until you're at a certain part in the story you can't actually harvest the poison lance from Bloaters, and i thought that was pretty mm-hmm. interesting because you know if you think about it i mean obviously as a player, you know, if you went played through it once already, you know that all of this is about, but right. if you're <laughs> playing a new game, technically these characters wouldn't know how to do that yet until they played through that story. And
2: there's also just like the pacing side of that, right? Where it doesn't feel as good to immediately start grinding everything you'll ever possibly need right away and hear none of the plot. Right. And so just not even like tempting you to spend your time that way until you're at a place where mm-hmm. the game's overall tuning is prepared for it, helps to keep the experience within like narrower bounds, we have more control over it. Generally, just means in our estimation that most people are
0: having a better time. Yeah, I appreciate that. But I did have one other question for Heartland before we talk about a couple of other patch things, real quick. Mm-hmm. So, the last question I had is in Heartland, I won't spoil the story for anyone that hasn't played through the whole story yet, but at the very end of the story, there is sort of a cliffhanger. And mm-hmm. uh, I do understand if this question can't be answered yet, but I kind of wanted to know if uh this is going to be resolved at some point. So is there going to be an arbitrary point in time where we actually find out what happens in this cliffhanger?
1: Uh, so this, the, the end of Heartland, it kind of reminds me a little bit of the year one survival edition where, which is where we introduced Cleo. Um, so for, you know, for most of the life of the original State of Decay, at least for the first like year and a half, uh, Cleo was not a thing. You know, it was just, uh, look, we're in the zombie apocalypse in, uh, you know, in, in a couple of towns and it was very kind of down to earth. And then in, in, in Yoast, we introduced this weird new element coming from the outside and deliberately did not explain it. Um, and, and the reason we didn't explain it was because, uh, at the time, you know, we knew that we were starting State of Decay 2 and we really wanted to send a message to the audience that we weren't done. You know, we wanted to, to, to communicate to people who were playing the game that, you know, we, we wouldn't just start a mystery that we weren't intending to eventually pay off on. Um, and so the, the fact that there was a new mystery being introduced in the last edition of the original state of decay, meant that we were committed to the franchise as a whole, and we and we would say that to, to players to people who tuned into our stream. And stuff like that. We, we would, we would let them know, you know, the reason we did this was because we want you to understand that this franchise is continuing. And so, uh, the cliffhanger at the end of Heartland is, is, is a really kind of a similar thing. We want players who play Heartland to, to understand that this, that this franchise is going to keep growing and it's going to keep, uh, we're going to keep, uh, supporting this franchise for a really long time. And, and there's, I think there's, you know, there's no better way to, to communicate than, than to, than to open questions and not quite close them yet. <laughs>
0: Also, we get to read fan theories on the internet, which are the best. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I, I will say, you know, uh, part of my theory is I, I really don't trust Dr. Hobbit. She seems kind of shady to me. So <laughs> we'll, we'll, see. Well, we'll, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> I think she's responsible somehow. We'll, we'll find out. <laughs> but um, along with Heartland, there were some other changes that kind of uh, came with this patch. So mm-hmm. we can talk about some of those uh, quickly. So uh, there were some inventory changes. One of uh- those is... Yeah,
1: go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, yeah. So, so the inventory changes mostly happened because when we were working on content update eight, uh, you know, Matthew Bozarth, uh, our programmer who was working on the inventory stuff, he specifically, uh, you know, when, when we targeted one particular edition we wanted to make. Which was when you are at your car and you've got the vehicle inventory open, uh, you can't, you can transfer items from the vehicle, but you can't transfer them from your own inventory. And that just created this, this, this horrific user experience where you have to send things from your inventory into the trunk and then from the trunk into the base. And if you were driving like a Brogan or something, there's like four slots. It took forever and it was so obnoxious. And so we were going to add that one contextual command on the inventory side of that screen. But when Matthew cracked it open, he realized we're missing dozens of these things. There's lots and lots of contexts where there's an action that the player might want to perform that they can't. And so he actually, uh, you know, he, he built a spreadsheet where he was tracking like all of the different <laughs> contexts. Cause each time you open up the inventory in a different place, whether you're opening a supply locker or a container or a trader inventory or, uh, you know, your, your, uh, anything, uh, the back of a vehicle, um, Thus, each of those is actually kind of a different screen under the right. surface. And so each individual action that has to be performed on one of those has to be implemented separately. And so there was just a lot of holes, things that we had missed. And so Matthew made a spreadsheet and we tracked all of the places where all the contexts and all the actions found the places where there were holes. And then Matthew went through and just started knocking them out and, and putting, uh, actions where, where actions belong. There were some that we couldn't do because there's certain contexts where we end up using the same button to do something in one context that does something else in a different context. And we couldn't cross the streams. Uh, but, but, but mo, for the most part, we, we killed most of the, of the gaps that were there. So, like, in a vehicle, now you can drop items, uh, looting a container, you can unequip your weapon or a weapon mod, uh, when a supply locker's open, you can repair or salvage items in your personal inventory, so not, about that one. not just in the supply locker. Yep. We actually made an entire facility action to patch the fact that we, we didn't have do this. this. <laughs> it was somehow easier. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway. Uh, Time is expensive. Yeah, and and speaking of time being expensive, I shouldn't read the entire list, but there's a whole bunch of new stuff that you can do in the inventory.
0: Yeah, and I do appreciate that, and one of my favorite ones is the one you mentioned where your supply lockers to open. You can now repair your weapons and stuff. So that is really handy because it's really nice. You don't have to put it back in your locker, you know, like all the people, all the crap. So It'll yeah. be a month before I stop
2: actually doing that. My things are so burned in. <laughs> I still do it. I transfer directly into my trunk, and then I do it. And I'm like, no, no, wait. No, it's better now. It's fine. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. And then the last couple of things we did in the inventory was uh, when you're hitting the take one button to just grab things one at a time uh, from a stack. It used to be that when you got to the last one, you had to switch buttons yeah. because now it's just a single item uh, and take one would disappear. Now that doesn't happen. You can always take one uh, from, from a stacked item. And then you get an error sound if you try to use uh, an item in your inventory uh, and you can't use it for whatever reason. It used to be there would be no sound and you'd sometimes be left in wondering why your button wasn't working. Uh, so now at least something is telling you, oh no, it worked. You just can't do
2: that. There was a great bug once when you could use anything from your inventory and people would throw molotovs all towels from behind a menu <laughs> and then like, light themselves in their cars on fire and be like, why is this happening? <laughs>
0: yeah no i definitely appreciate all those changes because they're nice quality of life things that really make the game a lot more fun and some of these you never even think about but then once this happens like oh wow that's really cool you <laughs> know like one of my favorite ones that happened recently it wasn't in this patch but um the ability to actually unload your ammo from your weapons that, that yes. was so huge I, I love that yeah yeah that was a favorite of mine too <laughs> but there were some other uh what play changes, if you want to talk about those real quick?
1: Uh, yeah, so this one, um, when I think basically in Heartland, you end up needing blood plague cure so much more often because every single Absolutely. zombie you're fighting is a blood plague zombie, and you've got the blood plague freaks, which are always trying even harder to infect you. Uh, you need it so often that that we took a really hard look at the user experience of curing the blood plague. Which you know, when it's a rare action, it's okay if it's a little bit cumbersome. Whatever people deal with it, they don't have to deal with it that often. But if you're doing it constantly in a lot of different contexts, you want a much better set of tools. And so we improved the the the, the use of cure across the board. Uh, you can you know use it uh, under uh, uh, you know it, it's basically uh when you're talking to somebody and you want to cure them uh, instead of just having, uh, like a few options take over your entire dialogue, we've shuffled them off into their own categories so you can interact with them normally or decide to cure them because everyone's infected all the time. And so if being infected took over your dialogue, you would never be able to do anything with any of your characters. Um, and so then you can get into it and then they actually give you enough information to make decisions. You can see how infected they are. Uh, you can tell whether you're going to have to use a cure from your inventory or use a cure from their inventory. Um, and so we're just trying to give you as much information as we can. And, uh, and we think that, that it's a, it's a better experience now. And so because it worked so well in Heartland, we made sure that it
0: worked that way across the entire game. Yeah. And I'll have to point out my favorite one of this is the one that you can view treatment options action for your, uh, ally characters or not your ally characters, but your. Uh, community characters so mm-hmm. actually having that available to you is so handy because you can walk up to them and go oh this person's you know 70% blood plague M- maybe I should cure them now before they get blood yeah. plague
1: they're literally their body is 70% blood plague <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's like a person-shaped
2: bucket 70% of a <laughs> red raspberry jam <laughs> 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 that's a funny way to
0: <laughs> but yeah I definitely appreciate that without a lot so uh, really appreciate those changes thank you yeah
1: I, don't, I can't and, take credit for them. I think you're
0: going to <laughs> do <laughs> Well, thank you, Yurkan. <laughs> and then we have one other section that had some miscellaneous changes, and uh, you can call out any of these you'd like, but one of the ones I didn't really understand too much is where water disturbance effects no longer continue after zombies are killed?
1: Oh, this was just a little visual bug where if you're fighting zombies in a river or something like that, uh, you know, when a zombie's walking through the water, it has a little ripple around its legs uh, as it's moving. And if you killed the zombie there, it would fall down in the water and the ripple would just stay there. Yeah, like the uh, ripple didn't know that the foot was now dead. The <laughs> ripple's just like, oh no, there's still a foot moving around kind of in this
2: area. <laughs> so there'd forever. just be little <laughs> nice.
1: whirlpools left behind by dead zombies. And so, so that's gone now. Um, we, yeah, we had so, some of the miscellaneous stuff is just little. Um, do you want to mention the stabilizing? Film? Yeah. So this one
2: bugged me a little bit. This is one of my like ancient pet peeves I finally got to act on. That item is always supposed to feel a little bit broken, like in terms of being too effective, but it made you go home. Because generally speaking, like, I always wanted to be more reasons for players to actually go to the base and see their community at rest in a natural state. And so anytime we could incentivize you to actually travel home to do stuff, I, the hope is to do that. And I didn't see people talking about stabilizing foam, like, this is this crazy, horrific thing. I can't believe I can just heal forever whenever I want now. And so I figured we could just make it cheap. if No, free. Make it free. Maybe <laughs> that'll do it. And so now if you're able to get home and you have low health and you don't want to spend any meds or any consumables, you can walk up to that facility and you can use that and just heal your current health. Yeah. Uh, it won't take care of injuries, it won't take care of trauma, but it's as good as painkillers if you can actually go home.
1: And, and that's, Stabilizing Foam, that's a mod, right? Yeah, if that is a mod infirmary? that you can
2: slot into your infirmary or a field hospital.
1: Okay, cool. Um, so yeah, some of them like hostile icons no longer come randomly unglued from characters' heads. Yeah, that, that was just bad. yeah, just you'd, you'd be you'd see the little red diamond over someone's head, and you'd be fighting them, and then suddenly it would just slide off to the side it'd, for no good reason. Just stop, and you're like, wait, no, is <laughs> it's, it's their soul behind and the body's moving somewhere else? <laughs> exactly, their anger is just being. Right, left can behind. I get a
2: headshot on their anger?
1: Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> um, bloater gas on in a car when you would get your car, bloater gassed. Uh, the, the bloater gas would become a damaging volume of, effectively for the zombies. Right. And, uh, it's not supposed to do that. And so you could actually, your car became a more effective zombie killing machine, uh, when, when it was bloater gas than otherwise. Not very effective strategy, but it just still felt weird. You don't so want to incentivize people it.
2: at all to be in the car. Like, you, you should get out now. You already did the bad thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But
1: then, then my favorite, my favorite, uh, patch <laughs> note I've ever written. <laughs> this is pretty great. Is, uh, knowing how to fish no longer makes you sad. Um, and so basically somebody reported, Hey, somebody asked us the question. I think this came from the community. Somebody asked us, how come traits that teach you how to fish make you sad? How come they always have a morale hit on them? And I looked at them and I was like, I have no idea why that's the case. I believe that there was another designer, uh, who doesn't work here anymore. Uh, not for some nefarious reason he just happens not to um uh, he he went through and he was like trying to find good reasons to give characters uh morale penalties he wanted to make he was balancing the morale system making sure there were enough penalties and enough benefits across the trait system that it would make sense and i think that there was some i think that he in his mind was imagining oh yeah I used to go on fishing trips all the time and now I can't. I'm sad because I'm a fisherman and there's no fishing to do in the apocalypse. Um, so I just and, assumed all fishing villages were super bleak places. Yeah, exactly. And so, and so I believe that there was a justification that was very personal to that designer, um, for, for why all fishermen should be sad in our game. Uh, but it didn't make a lot of sense to the audience and it didn't make a lot of sense to me. So I just went through it and removed them all. And so now fishermen are not sad anymore. Um, But, but that does kind of illustrate something that, you know, and this, I, I, you know, I'm kind of throwing that one designer under the bus, but really this is a thing that every single designer experiences, which is there's something that works in your head that makes perfect sense. And it's obvious why it works the way it does. And, and so you don't question it because it's just, there's something in your head that tells you this is right. And, and you just put it in the game and it's not until somebody else plays the game that you find out that, no, I'm a weirdo. I'm seeing the world from a completely <laughs> different prismatic lens, yep. uh, based on my own assumptions and biases and the, and the stories that I've told myself about the way things work. And when a normal person plays this, which, you know, there's no such thing as a normal person, I guess, but you know, when somebody who's, who's different from me plays the game, none of it makes sense. I, I, yeah.
2: Like I had, I had some distant family in town recently and like we had this long conversation about just like life experiences. And I remember coming out with that saying like every, different people's normal is super different. Yeah. Like my day to day and your day to day have something different than really, like Blaze. I'm sure yours and ours is very different. And like there's the, the range of potential normal is always infinitely larger than any one person could possibly perceive. And yeah. you just the, the max confidence one can have that your experiences translate even a little bit can't can't be that high. Yeah. Like you just have to be prepared for other people to say, Yeah, I mean for what me. Do you, I, why I, does I, this like, say
0: that? Like, no one really understands the overnight schedule where I have to sleep during the day. So like. Yeah. I,
1: I did that for, uh, for about a week in college once and I was like, nope, never again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's really rough. It's rough. Trust me. Yeah, especially uh, when having a kid too. <laughs> I oh, get yeah. To sleep a lot. So that's, yeah, that's really rough. Um, a few times.
1: But there were actually multiple times when we, when we were working on the Heartland characters where, um, I would come up with a trait and a set of buffs or penalties for that trait that made sense to me. And there were multiple times when, when Andy Collins would read it because he was going to, you know, uh, edit the final text. And uh, and he would say, I don't understand why this is working the way that it is. Why does being a high school principal make give you this advantage or this <laughs> disadvantage? You know, and I was like, you know what. I had it all working in my head, but since it doesn't work for you, obviously it's not going to work for a lot of people. And so I need to go back in and either come up with a different penalty or come up with a different description for what's going on. That, that makes more sense in people's minds. Um And so you always have to, always have to check your assumptions that way,
0: which um since you did bring up Andy Collins, I, I do want to mention, uh, I really love that Bronto gas jingle. That's I think It's Larry's story. So. <laughs> so I, I, I'll have, we'll have to tell him <laughs> that, 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 that you liked it. Yeah. Every time I hear a character say that, I'm like, this is so funny. Like, I can't believe they actually made a Bronto gas signal. So,
1: so, so uh, now and then, actually, I'll I'll report to Andy that somebody has said that they loved a particular line of the game. He'll be like, I have no memory of writing that. <laughs> uh,
2: because because he's written so much dialogue for this game. Yes. Also, not not just dialogue, like text. Yeah. Like every gun description, every mail-up description, every word on every facility has had him look at it at least once, think yeah. about it
0: at least once, and talk to whoever wrote it at least once. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really appreciate that one. You know, you don't hear it too often, but I've heard it a couple times now, and it's funny when I hear it. So we'll let him know. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate that. But uh, unless you have anything else to say about Heartland or the patch, um, that's basically all the questions I have for both of you.
2: Yeah,
1: it's 4 o'clock. We should probably get out of yeah, here we anyway. Got, we got
0: more, more video game to make.
1: Uh, thank you so much for having us. This is always fun. Yeah, this is great. We yeah, love I your podcast. It.
0: Thank you. I appreciate that. And if people want to get a hold of you, is there any uh, certain way they should do so?
1: Uh, yeah, I'm at rangitang on Twitter. Uh, and uh, I'm also on our Discord. If you go to discord.gg slash uh, we Brian and I both hang out there periodically. And, uh, you know, <laughs> we, we pay fun. attention to what people are saying. And uh, and we like to answer them.
2: Yep, no, I'm uh, at Brian Giami, uh, spelling of which you can see in the title of the podcast. I'm yes. <laughs>
0: No, I appreciate that. Thank you. And I really appreciate both of you being here and taking the time to talk about this with me. You know, I really love Heartland and I love uh, all the work that both of you put into it as long as uh, everyone else is on labs. You're welcome. But I know you have to go, so um I'll continue with the outro, but I appreciate you being here. So uh hopefully I'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. Right, thank you. Bye. But as for the podcast, uh we do have more episodes coming up. Of course, we are going to have an episode coming up next Saturday. We release an episode every Saturday, so that is going to be a Heartland uh, themed episode. I don't know what we're going to talk about yet, but it will be uh, something to do with Heartland, maybe character-based, maybe um, mission-based. We'll talk about some of like our favorite things from it, um, possibly how to uh, take on Plague walls, something like that, but that should be a lot of fun. Our next stream, I can't particularly say what our next stream is just yet because I don't know quite if I'm going to ep- uh, release this episode the same week it we was recorded. I might re- release this episode the week after it was recorded so depending on when i release it i can't really say what our next stream is going to be but we will have our stream schedule being sunday monday tuesday 12 to 4 eastern and then we're gonna have one night stream every week and i do want to call out a big thank you again to everyone that supported me so far i really appreciate it because we have passed 500 followers on mixer this week so that is huge to me that's a really huge accomplishment and i really really appreciate that so Thank you, everyone, that's followed. Thank you, everyone, that's jumped in my stream. And thank you to all of you listening to the podcast, too. Even if you only listen to the you don't jump in streams. I really appreciate that, too. But, you know, uh, we've had some great milestones with the podcast. And now that's a really huge milestone with streaming as well. So 500 is huge. And we're going to keep going. And I'm going to keep making the podcast. I'm going to keep streaming. So I really appreciate that. Thank you. And if you are enjoying the content I'm making with both streaming and podcasting, one way to help me out is on Patreon patreon.com slash blaze experience is a way to help content creators for as little as one dollar a month you could actually help me uh, create the content i make and you get exclusive rewards for doing so there's a one dollar five dollar ten dollar fifteen dollar level and at the different levels you get more rewards some of the rewards are like top priority to play with me on stream you get rewards like a bonus podcast every month for patreon members so there's different things like that that are uh really great rewards and i definitely appreciate you um doing that if you're able to but if you can't then no worries at all the fact that you're listening to this right now the fact that you join my streams and come say hi that is definitely enough so don't worry about it if you're not financially able but that is just a way to uh, support financially if you are uh, able to do so so that's patreon.com slash blaze experience that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash b-l-a-i-s-e-x-p-e-r-i-e-n-c patreon.com slash blaze experience but if you want to get in contact with me, you can contact me via email, blazeexperience at gmail.com. You can contact me via Twitter or my gamertag, which is at blazeexperience. That's capital B, L A I S E, capital X-P-E-R-I-E-N-C-E. And then if you want to contact me on Facebook or on YouTube, I am on there as well, but I don't, um, answer on those as frequently. I'm a little bit more frequent on twitter and discord so i would say um contact me on twitter and discord if you want um a quicker response and i usually get back to you you know within um a reasonable time frame there and my discord will be in the show notes so just um stay tuned to the show notes and i will have my discord in there but if you want to find the podcast you're obviously listening to it right now but other ways to find it that you might not know about are spotify stitcher google Podcasts, itunes radio public Podbean, Blueberry, and many of the directories. So literally all you have to do is just type into Google somewhere, the Blaze Experience, and you will find us somewhere. So whatever uh, app or podcast player is your favorite choice, just uh, go search us on there and you're probably going to find us. And if for whatever reason you don't like apps, in my Discord, there is a section called Direct Download Links that has a direct download link to every podcast I've ever made. So if you don't want to have an app on your phone or something or your computer, then if you join my Discord, you can just go to the direct download section, and you can download any podcast you want just by clicking the button. But I really appreciate everyone being here, and thank you to Jeffrey and Brian who were in here and um just left a couple minutes ago. I really appreciate them giving their time and answering all those questions, and it was a really fun episode, and I hope you all enjoyed it too. And I'm really excited to play more Heartland, play more State of Decay, do more podcasting, do more streaming, and all this content creation. So. I really appreciate all the support so far, everyone. And, you know, we're getting closer and closer to 100. And I can't wait to get to episode 100. We'll have to do uh, something unique and special for that. I'm not quite sure yet, but we will have to figure out something. But thank you, everyone, as always, for listening to The Bliss Experience.